Good afternoon uh, and welcome uh, today to the WAM Capital, WAM Microcap, WAM Research and WAM Active uh, 2022 Interim Result Webinars. Um, yeah, I'm Jeff Wilson and I'm Chair of those entities. I'm also the CIO of Wilson Asset Management. Yeah, the investment team that's led by Oscar Oberg, um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, won't be with us today. Uh, a very, very close friend of them all um, just died, you know, very recently um, of um, bowel cancer. And uh, so, so the good news is you've got me, or the bad news is you've got me. Uh, and in terms of the um, uh, you know, the, a more detailed assessment and really drilling into some of the companies that we own in those various entities. You know, we'll send you out an email um, in the next couple of days, you know, selecting another date in a couple of weeks' time. So I apologise, you know, for that. Um, you know, when I spoke, was speaking to Oscar this morning, he was saying, look, we can do it. And I said, hey, I'm very happy to... You know, to chat to shareholders as chairman and I suppose as founder of those entities. You now then there's an opportunity, um, you know, you've got an opportunity to ask me any questions you want you know, for the next um, hour. In terms of looking at the results of those four entities, you know, WAM Capital being the largest listed investment company that we've got and the, the first one that we floated you know, and, um, you know, 20 plus years ago, um, the performance was sound in the six month period. You know, slightly outperforming the market. The, the portfolio is up 4.8%. On the 12 months, it was a, a little up 11, a, a little over 17%. Um, the interim dividend, we're able to maintain that at 7.75 uh, cents. Um, and that's really, you know, giving you an annualised dividend um, you know, of 7.1%. Now, that's before it's grossed up. So that's that's a very high dividend yield. A number, you know, there have been questions from time to time, why haven't we increased the dividend? Um, and and the, the simple answer to that is, you know, we've tried to keep it the same for our shareholders because we've had franking and we've had profit reserves. So we've been able to um, you know, deliver to shareholders. Uh, and, and with that, um, you know, a lot of companies two or three years ago, you know, when things were getting a bit tougher, were cutting dividends. Uh, and you'll see where, you know, with WAM Capital, we've decided to keep it this high rate. Um, so, you know, really, would we be increasing the dividend in WAM Capital? I think giving shareholders a you know, 10% grossed-up return, um, you know, is very, you know, our ability to increase the dividend is not much at this point in time. You know, things change, the market is dynamic, and you know, let's see. In terms of WAM microcap, the interim result there, um, you know, again, a very a, an extremely good result. The um, you know, the the portfolio was up. This is for the um, you know for the six month period was up thirteen point eight percent, and that was you know a strong outperformance of the market. You know, and that's the you know, the small odds, which was up a little over eight percent for that period. The dividend was a, a good increase. Uh, a 25% increase from $0.04 cents to $0.05 cents fully franked, um, you know, giving a – now starting to give a really nice yield for investors of, you know, 5.4% before, you know, before grossing up the value of the franking credits. That's annualised. And microcaps in an ex a really strong position in terms of profit reserves, you know, $0.52. Cents. And just in terms of WAM Capital, you know, WAM Capital's profit reserve, um, you know, is at the end – um, of yeah, is around. It's around. I mean, we've got two and a bit dividends um, up our sleeve there. So really, we've got to make more profit um, and pay more tax to continue to pay uh, fully frank dividends. But we've got the next couple of dividends uh, there. In terms of WAM research, the um, yeah, a, a solid result in the six months. You know, the portfolio is up eight point eight. Percent uh, outperforming, you know, the index by a little over four percent, um, yeah, which was was solid, and the dividend was uh, five cents. Um, and, and there, again, we're 
you know, we're pretty high in terms of the amount of dividend we're paying out. Uh, that's an annualised uh, yield on the on the share price, you know, which is a, a, a quite a, a a good premium to NTA of six uh, percent. And in terms of the profit reserve for WAM research, um, it's got uh, a fraction under forty four cents. Forty three point nine cents is the figure. Uh, so about four and a half, on just under four and a half years of cover. And to me, it's you know it's interesting talking to some of the other directors on the WAM research board. Now, WAM research we floated in around 2003-2004, uh, and in the first few years, um, it was very difficult in terms of to um, pay dividends. Um, yeah, because we had we had a little bit of profit reserve, but we just didn't have you know, a significant amount of profit reserve. So, for WAM research, it's a great position. You know, they're in now in terms of you know having, as I said, you know, a, a good profit reserve. Um, in term with looking at WAM Active, the you know the portfolio was a tougher period over the you know six month period. You know, WAM Active is looking for um, you know more more short term trading opportunities uh, or buying a dollar of assets for eighty cents if they can, or a dollar of assets for fifty cents. Um, you know, obviously preferably, uh, and, and that was up you know a couple of percent in the half year. Um, and over the 12-month period, uh, yeah, well, and actually, the um, since January, since effectively inception, just to give you some relative performance numbers, uh, it had increased nearly, you know, on an annual basis, uh, about 12% uh, per annum. And um, the fully frank dividend was three cents. You know, that that was you know maintaining level of three cents. Uh, and that's because, again, in the profit reserve, you know, there's not um, significant excesses in the profit reserve. There's a little over seven cents uh, in the profit reserve. So they're the broad um, you know, results. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll pass you over. And look, thank you. you know, this is your company. You know, we're only we can only do what we do because of your support. We're very passionate about it. Um, what I do like is, you know, I mean, we've already done a couple of presentations, the WAM Global presentation, the WAM Leaders presentation, but I think the, you know, the, this, this group, you know, being the, you know, the, the WAM Capital Group plus others, you know, you've been with us for a long time uh, and, um, and, and, you know, you're very, you know, you send in some good questions and I was talking to, you know, Camilla before we um, you know, started and I said, hey, that's the great thing about the, WAM Capital Group, um, you know, they, 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 they've got no problems, you know, sending in some, you know, good, solid, punchy questions. So, um, you know, please, we've got some really good questions that have already been sent in. Uh, if you have any other questions, you know, uh, please send them in. And now I just pass um, one of our senior corporate affairs advisors and she will um, be moderating the questions today. Philip has said to us, WAM Capital has been very active, taking over other leaks and forcing those shareholders to take WAM shares. Will the expected downward price pressure on WAM shares play havoc on performance, put the future dividend in jeopardy and ultimately reduce the premium? Okay, there's a number of parts to that question. So let's let's do it in, in parts. So first of all, you know, the, the most of the takeovers have occurred. So... Um, yeah, and, and say with the last takeover that WAM Capital made was for PMA Asia, um, you could have accepted into um, WAM Capital stock. Uh, we went unconditional months ago. So pretty much anyone that bought shares in that last, all the previous takeover bids, anyone who bought shares, they would have sold if they wanted to sell um, you know, from last year. Uh, and the PMA Asia one, yeah, I would, I would assume anyone who has accepted the bid so far and wanted to sell would have sold. Like uh, PM Global, which owned 19.9% .9 of PM Asia, they sold and I think they sold it. Now, because there's, hot, there's a lot of liquidity in WAM Capital, I think they sold it at over you know, seven or eight days, 20% in, um, in PM Asia. So to me, that's that's pretty much all happened. With um, And I know there's a question later on and maybe I'll, I'll touch on it here as well. With West Oz and the Ausgrowth merger, now, if there's any selling for that, the merger is going to in, in plan to occur on the 21st of April. 
Um, and then and there may be some selling you know, from that. Um, on the other side, you know, th- th- this selling tends to be short term. And as we saw you know, when we made the Amasum you know, takeover bid, you know, th- there was some short term downward pressure on Amasum. Um, because what happens is a number of these hedge funds, they see the opportunity, they see an arbitrage opportunity. And like, like you know, you've got to you know, accept what's happening and, and, and they you know, buy into, say, a Mason, accept the Wham takeover bid and sell Wham. Or you know, see the West Oz, Osgrove um, bid, buy into that, um, accept the Wham bid and then sell Wham capital shares. And now, they tend to all be short-term things. And with a Mason, like that was you know, a lot of the unnatural owners and you know, the, the um, hedge funds, et cetera, had bought into a Mason sold wham, share price fell over a very short period of time and then bounced back up you know, a couple of months later. And so that's that's what tended to happen. So I'd assume that would happen again. In terms of, um, as I said, the 21st of April is when the scheme is meant to be implemented for West Oz and Osgrove you know, on an NTA for NTA basis then. Um, and any any franking we pick up, that'll be a, you know, a secondary benefit. Uh, and that's why with the wham capital dividend, we're paying it a little bit later. And I think there was a question, there's a question a little bit later on about the WAM capital dividend. Why have we paid it at various, you know, why isn't it always at the same time? Ideally, we would like to pay it at the same time. But again, you know, with the Mason takeover bid and with the you know, Ozgrowth, what we don't want to, situ- we'd prefer it to trade, once these deals are done, trade come dividend for as long as possible. Because there, there's always strong buying in WAM capital on a come dividend basis. So if anyone wants to roll out of their positions, any of these you know, people are hedging or hedge funds, et cetera, then they can roll out and it has you know, less of an impact on the share price. So that's the that's the takeovers for the share price. That was the first part of the question. What were the other parts? Camilla, I know that was that part. What was the other parts? Uh, Philip was just wondering if this would put the dividend in jeopardy and impact performance and the premium. Yeah, um, well, it's, we've done. I've dealt with the premium um, in terms of performance. It really doesn't impact performance because the day you get the money is then all of a sudden. You know, say if you know, Wham Capital's you know, got one point seven billion of assets. Say if they pick up another hundred million of assets, then the day you get access to that money, then that is just managed like the the rest. So that, that shouldn't hit, affect performance. Obviously, WAM Capital is bigger than when we floated it you know, over 20-odd years ago when we raised $20 million. And obviously, managing $20 million and managing $2 billion is a different dynamic. You need different skills. You, know, you need to take advantage of different opportunities. Uh, um, you know, so you know, that's, that's various, they're various things. In terms of the ability to pay future dividends, you know, the impact, obviously, if you issue more shares... Yeah, then that has a negative impact on your profit reserve. Um, and so there are some slight dilutionary impacts. What, um, what fortunately we've been able to do, and a lot of people that own WAM Capital are, are, are very happy with the, you know, the fully frank dividends we've been able to pay. Um, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, from these deals, this is you know, so far this financial year um, you know, that, that it looks like we'll be picking up as a secondary benefit from those takeover bids, about $20 million of franking credits, which is you know, a little over four cents you know, um, on a diluted basis. So that's that's franking. And so in theory, that's four cents we're giving to shareholders um, that they wouldn't have had before. Uh, and if we give it to them as a fully frank dividend and they're in a you know, self-managed super fund, you know, then they're putting their... Um, you know, then they're claiming the, the refund and they're getting a couple of cents back. So, yeah, to me, the board you know, thinks that they do add value. Thanks, Jeff. This next question is from George. He says he notes that WAM Active and WAM Research hold similar companies to WAM Capital. Is there any benefit if we were to consolidate them into one lick? Yeah. Hey, great question, George. And, and, and just so you understand it, effectively, the, when I set up WAM Capital you know, years ago, the, the focus was to buy undervalued growth companies and buy them when we could see a catalyst that was going to change the valuation. So the whole idea was to sit in cash for as long as we could um, and to take as little risk as possible. And then when we saw 
we saw a cheap company, we wouldn't buy it unless we could see something that we believed would propel the share price up uh, as a catalyst, uh, and then we'd buy it. So we're trying to make you know, the maximum return for the minimum amount of risk. Um, and that was WAM Capital Strategy. Now, and we're looking for undervalued growth companies. And that was the focus. And we, when we started, when we're sitting on cash, because I'd worked in the equities market for a, a number of years, um, obviously, you know, I had very you know, good contacts um, at various brokers or, or, or companies I, I was aware of. So when they were raising money or doing IPOs or there was being placements, you know, some of that free money that institutions get access to and, and that we've been arguing that retail investors should get access to in terms of um, you know, placements and the like. Um, but some of that free money, you know, then when we're sitting on the cash, we took that opportunity. Uh, and when, if it was a dollar of assets trading at 80 cents or 70 cents, we'd take that opportunity. So what happened was Wham Capital ended up being broadly half was buying undervalued growth companies of, of the funds and broadly the other half was sitting in cash or taking more short-term trading opportunities. Uh, and so that was that, that's Wham Capital. And then as things have developed over time, I mentioned about Wham Research floating back in 2003, 2004, that just buys the undervalued growth companies. And then Wham Capital, that around 2009, you know, we floated uh, just at the start of the GFC. The logic there was just to buy trading opportunities. So you know, Wham Research is undervalued growth companies. Wham Active is short-term trading opportunities. And Wham Capital is 50% of each of them, if that makes, it, makes sense. And Wham Microcap is then the same strategies as WAM Capital, but on smaller companies, you know, the, the less than 300s, 100 Great. million, that is, yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Um, on WAM Active, Tim's asked, what was the rationale behind the WAM Active options and will we be carrying this out any other funds? Yeah, the, the logic about the option issue is the, the, the tough thing about WAM Active is where, when, I just mentioned earlier, when we floated it, we actually... It was the it was before the GFC started. We you know, we prepared the prospectus, and back then I remember Matthew Kibben and myself saying, "Look, you know the markets are very expensive, um, but you know a lot of people you know there's a lot of demand for for product. So we thought, look, if we are going to do a product, we're just going to do a trading product. So we got maximum flexibility to move to cash as quickly as we can. We lodged the prospectus by the time." The, we lodged the prospectus. Camilla, have I just lost you for a second? Just for a second, but you're back, Jeff. All good. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, we lodged the prospectus, and by the time the actual, um, you know, the, the prospectus was ready to close, the GFC already started. So we we only raised a little over $15 million. So it was it was a difficult, um, yeah, it was a very small raising. And we've been trying to grow when, um, and the plan is to continue to grow. Now, how do you grow it? You can do a a share purchase plan, a placement, um, or or an option issue, and with Wham um, Active, we actually end up doing all three. And what what the option issue does, it gives you another piece of paper. Effectively, it's like a massive buy right on behalf of all shares. There's usually some time value of money in that option, so you can decide whether you want to keep that option, whether you want to sell the options, or whether you want to exercise them. And and we have to perform for those options to get exercised. So that, that's that's the logic. Next one is from Sally. She says, do you think licks will become more popular in this era of uncertainty or are you concerned that ETFs might steal the show? I mean, it, to me it is funny, that argument, the ETFs versus the listed investment companies. You now, the first listed investment company uh, was, was created in 1868 and it, it was effectively, you know, it was in the UK and the whole logic, it was foreign and colonial, and the logic was to democratise investing. You know, they were letting you know, people of, of smaller means you know, to benefit um, you know, the way that the larger um, you know, players in, the, in, in, in uh, um, you know, equity markets and you know, very, debt markets, uh, um, you know, how they could get exposure. So they've been around for years. In the UK, you know, as I said, that's where they started. In Australia, you know, the early 20s, 1920s, that was when um, Whitefield started, which was before 
you know, the Affix and the Argos. Um, but they have been around for a long time and they will continue to be around. They'll continue to grow. And there's some great, you know, there's some great benefits for listed investment companies. Um, Converse, you know, on the other side, you've got ETFs. Now, ETFs are open-ended products that will continue to grow significantly. Um, and the fact that the ETF exists isn't negative for the LIC. To me, it's actually positive for the LIC. Now, it's weird. I think the, the journalists get caught up with this, oh, ETFs versus LICs. Oh, ETFs are growing so quickly. Well, of course they are. They're open-ended. You know, in a bull market, you'd, you'd assume the money to flow in. Uh, you know, where listed investment companies, they're just a fixed pool of capital, so they're closed-ended. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, that I saw this research about 30 years ago. It showed how listed investment companies outperformed open-ended funds, you know, like the ETFs or the managed funds. And that's one of the many benefits that LICs have. So they'll continue to grow, they'll continue to prosper, uh, but ETFs will grow at a significantly greater rate than LICs. And, th and, that's, and that's what you expect and that's actually what you want. Thanks, Jeff. This next one is from Michael and he says, do you expect new federal government to stop franking credits? <laughs> well, I suppose the question is, assuming Labor wins the next election and, you know, they look as though they've got a pretty good chance at the moment, um, the way is performing, uh, let, let's assume they do. You know, will they do anything with franking credits? Now, the great thing is, you know, you know we were very passionate about um, you know, franking credits before the last election and we, and we ran a, a very strong campaign. And, and a few people, you know, we, we're trying to explain that we were, you know, we're bipartisan um, in terms of our views. Uh, and, and with the current government, we've been very vocal about uh, AGMs and you know, the negative things they're doing about you know, making AGMs only, potentially only online and also you know, various other things. So to me, we're, we're more focused. You know, our, our goal is to make a difference, make a difference for all our investors in terms of performing and make a difference for our shareholders in terms of being able to stand up for them if we can. Uh, and that, that's where the franking um, campaign came from last election. The good thing is, you know, we kept on them, you know, after the election. Uh, and the great thing is, you know, Labor have dropped that from their, um, you know, from their toolkit. I, I, I don't, uh, one, one thing, the reason we were against the franking uh, uh, strategy proposed by Labor before the last election was it was unfair and illogical. I have no problems about, you know, I know it came out, there was an article in the paper about Dick Smith getting half a million dollars of franking and he didn't know what he, what he should do with it. Well, I mean, obviously give it to charity. But to me, um, you know, to me, I think that is wrong, you know, where, um, you know, where these big you know, personal superannuation funds and people get you know, significant benefits you know, from the franking system. Now, I think you know, it does make sense for there to be some cap, uh, but to me, to be a fair and equitable cap. In terms of what Labor was proposing, you know, some of the un unintended consequences, well, A, it wasn't fair. It, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wouldn't be the same to all you know, people. In, you know, anyone in a different position could have a different outcome, even though they're the same age. And, and there were some very, you know, very strong unintended consequences in terms of you know, the negative impact it had on sort of hard-working people that have done the right thing all their life. Thanks, Jeff. And actually staying on the topic of shareholder advocacy, Michael said he saw a quote in the AFR last year about the sophisticated investor test. Can you explain your position on that? Yes. The, 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 the position is um, that I'm just trying to think how many years ago, a number of years ago that the... Um, CLERP was introduced and it was, it was in theory a, some new legislation that was meant to, to protect retail investors. Unfortunately, it significantly disadvantaged retail investors. Um, and so what it... And, and part of the, you know, the, the... ..was the sophisticated investor test. And what effectively that is, is the people that can invest in a placement um, that doesn't have a prospectus are you know, sophisticated or wholesale investors. Um, and certain requirements in terms of 
earnings portfolio of, of assets that you know that you own. Now, that is just so grossly unfair that a company can has listed on the stock market can raise some money, and then if you as a share you're a shareholder in that company, you want to put some more money into the placement, and if you haven't got you know, earn more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year or have X amount of million of assets, then you can't do it. Uh, now, New Zealand saw the light and they changed the rules back in 2013. And we've been trying to get the government to change the rules. So if, if a company is listed on the stock market and it's doing a placement, then any investor should be able to participate because effectively what happens is the wholesale investors like ourselves, we can participate in that placement. And then... Um, that you know, then then the company's listed on the stock market. Then the next minute, you know, when it comes back on after it's done the placement, we can sell the shares to you at a higher price and make a profit. And that just isn't fair. So that was, I think, I think where I was quoted, I was saying, look, maybe there's another way of of doing it. Yeah, you know, maybe it's not on dollars. Maybe it's on school or or something of those lines. Thanks, Jeff. I've got a question now from John. So we listed Wham Strategic Value last year, and he's wondering if there are any plans for a ninth lick. Uh, look, thanks, John, and uh, no short-term plans for a ninth, ninth lick. But at our um, at our sort of our strategy meeting uh, that we had uh, a month or so ago, Camilla, can you remember how many how many investment opportunities do we have on the in the various categories? Oh gosh! Was it eight, nine, ten. Like yeah. So there's up but, to ten. But, yes. Yeah. There's various strategies we're looking at. Yeah. You know, what structures we use. Yeah. You know, where they fit. Yeah. You know, the priority for us is to look after the current lot of listed investment companies. Yeah. You know, obviously, Wham Strategic Value is trading at a you know, a discount NTA, um, and that's that's something that we've got to get it back to NTA, if not a premium. Yeah, you know, also Wham Globals at a discount, uh, and um, you know we've got to get that back to trading at NTA if not a premium, uh, and you know and Wham um, Alternate Assets at a discount. Now we've narrowed the discount significantly in Wham Alternate Assets. You know, when we took it over a year or so, a little over a year ago, but we've still got to get that to trade at NTA if not a premium. So we've still got a lot of work. Now we've actually got. Um, you know, close to 10 people in the shareholder engagement, communication and marketing strategy, you know, which compares to our competitors, you know, say the Affix and the Argos, I think they have one or two. Um, you know, so we're very committed to that uh, and, and we need to, you know, that's, that's the area we're focusing on at the moment. Thanks, Jeff. We've got one from Ian who's just logged on to the webinar. He's let us know that he owns shares in Wham, Wax and Wa, and he's asked, why do you own? Why do we have war when Wham does the takeovers? If you can touch on that again. Yeah, uh, the wh why, why was war created? It was really because um, you know, the strategies that we adopt, say, in Wham Capital, is undervalued growth companies with a catalyst, or more short-term trading opportunities. But because we're in the listed investment company space, we also allocated 10% of the value of the assets of WAM Capital to buy other closed-end pools of capital or listed investment companies or trusts that traded at a discount. So what we decided was, look, let's let's clean up the structure and put all those in, an, in a separate entity. And that's where you know, WAM Strategic Value was created and it's, it's ASX code is war. Um, now... So that's that is um, Wham strategic value. We're just buying the undervalued assets. You know, say you know, buying VGI, um, you know, v, you know, VG one. Say it's you know, a dollar of assets. You can buy them at eighty five cents at the moment. Or the Magellan, one of the you know, the Magellan listed investment trust, you know, is trading at a sixteen percent discount. Yeah, you know, we've been buying them recently. You know, so you're buying a dollar of assets cheaply. Now, in terms of making a takeover. It really depends where that pool of capital sits and which one it makes sense to do. Um, because with the last takeover we made, um, which was, you know, well, the, actually the last takeover, not the scheme, the last takeover was PM Asia. 
it actually made more sense for WAM Capital to do that bid and use their script, which was trading at a 20% plus premium, um, than WAR. And because currently WAR is trading at a discount. You know, it's about a 6 or six or 7% discount NTA. So it just wouldn't be as appealing. So, and, and when we did the deal with Templeton Global, you know, um, you know, why didn't WAM Capital do the deal? It had a bigger premium. Well, the logic was the assets. You know, it made sense to put them you know, with WAM Global. And that's that's the thing you know, with, with WAM Global. It'll just take a bit of time for that share register to tighten up. And then I'm very confident that we'll get it back to uh, NTA. But, yeah, so, so WAR is doing the investing. It may do... Uh, takeovers. It's probably more likely we'll do small takeovers um, you know, because war we raised $225 million, And then what that did is before we never really looked at the you know, $40, $50, $60 million listed investment companies because you know, why invest in them when you're talking about you know, you, you've got about a billion dollars of fund that you're investing in. So, um, but now you know, with creating war, then, then all those smaller ones yeah, are, are potentially vulnerable um, from in terms of us investing in them. Thank you, Jeff. This next question is from George. He says, given the WAM microcap profit reserve basically equates to five years' worth of dividends, will the board ever consider paying a one-off special dividend? Yeah, thanks, George. And, like, what we've done is as we've been growing the profit reserve, yeah, on, on an annual basis, we'll, we'll pay... Yeah, a, a an interim dividend that we're comfortable with, a full year dividend we're comfortable with, and with microcap, and then pretty much every year, um, then we've paid a a final dividend and a special dividend. Now the now that the yield is getting up, you know, th then that'll be a debate at year end. You know, we've announced the interim dividend. Will there be a uh, full year dividend. Well, obviously there'll be a full year dividend. You'd assume it'll be similar to the interim dividend. And will there be a special dividend? Um, like uh, at the debate we had in the interim, you know, we were questioning whether we would. It really just depends how how the portfolio performs. Also, you've got to remember these profit reserves. You know, our ability to pay fully frank dividends um, sort of turn up when we get franking credits from shares that we invest in or we pay tax um, and get the franking credits from the tax we pay. Uh, and you tend to find there's a lag between when you pay the tax. You, you, you make the profit reserve first and you might pay the tax a little later, and it could be one or two years later. So we, we actually aren't necessarily in a position where we could pay out a significant um, you know, fully frank dividend. We couldn't pay all the profit reserve out fully franked at the moment. Yeah, it would only be a very small fraction of it because we haven't paid the tax yet. Thanks, Jeff. This next one is from Andre, and he's just looking to understand how profit reserves are kept. He asks, are they in cash? And then how do they impact the NTA? Yeah, I mean, good question, Andre, because it is, you know, it's a, it's, in theory, it's, it's an accounting concept. Uh, and and, and this is probably the easiest way to explain it to you. So, say we started with $100 million. You know, we floated a new company has got $100 million. Over the, you know, the six-month period, you know, the, the value of the assets go from $100 million to $110. Um, so, say you're fully invested. Say you, you're 100% invested in the stock market. Then from an accounting perspective, um, after that, you know, six-month period, your shareholders' funds, which is what you started with, is $100 million, and you've got $20 million of earnings. Sorry, $10 million, $10 million of earnings. Um, now, that $10 million of earnings, what we do as a board, we sweep that into the profit reserve. So, you know, what the balance sheet looks like is $110 million of assets, 100 of shareholders' funds, and $10 million of uh, profit reserve. Now... You could be 100% invested in the market. So, in theory, it's not cash. It's not cash that's sitting there. It's part of your assets. Um, so, I don't know if that – I tried to sort of use an example to explain it to you. Um, yeah, it's, it's an accounting um, – yeah, it's, it's an accounting um, – I was going to say move or – no, it's just, it's just an, a, a, an accounting entry. Um, it's not something that you've got to put on one side – 
uh, and keep it in cash. Now, it's just part of the, the pool of capital. So we'd be investing $110 million. Now, if we wanted to increase the cash to 50%, we'd do that. If we want to be 100% invested, we'd be invested. You now, we'd put $110 million in the market. And that $110 million is made up of $100 million of shareholders' funds, which you started with, plus $10 million of profit reserve, Great. which you can Thank pay out. Now, now, if you have franking, then you can pay it out fully franked. If you don't have any franking, see, that's what happens. So that first six months, you, you might have sold a share, so your profit reserve's $10 million, and you haven't paid a cent in tax. So if you paid that $10 million out, that would be an unfranked dividend. So you have to, we'd, you'd have to wait till we sold that $10 million worth of stock. And then, actually, sorry, it wouldn't have been $10 million because we would have we would have provided for tax. But we might not have, yeah, so it would have been $3 million off, so it would be $7 million in the profit reserve. But we, 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 until we sell that those shares and pay that tax, we can't pay it out as a fully frank dividend. Great. Sorry, thanks. So, the next one is from... Alan, he's just asked us, are there any issues with your LICs trading between themselves? Um, yeah, I mean, fair question. And and I think you mean, Alan, in terms of, well, first of all, they all have different strategies. Um, yeah, so they'll, yeah, they'll invest in the, in the different strategies. Um, yeah, so we, you know, there may be an occasion where a company that we own in WAM microcap might you know, get significantly larger and it might be held in microcap and WAM capital. Um, we tend not to try to trade between the entities. Um, the, the WAM, um, you know, WAM strategic value own shares in WAM Global, and that that's, well, in theory, you know, that's not a long-term position. That was that turned up from the takeover. W with the takeover of, um, and in retrospect, we probably should have accepted the cash for the Templeton uh, scheme, but, th but that was like a 6 or 7% discount, which I find it very hard, you know, um, you know, giving six or seven percent away. Um, with the takeovers for West Oz and Ozgrowth, you know, then WAM strategic value, which has positions in the both, the plan is, you know, the plan would be to to roll out of the WAM capital shareholding when this when the scheme goes through on the twenty first of April, just over the the following month or so. So I think that I try to cover off everything. Um, and I hope that does. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. This next question is from Fang, who's wondering, what is your view on the crisis in Ukraine and its effect on the share market? Well, the view is uh, totally appalled. Um, I think you know, everyone is and incredibly you know, sad and sorry for you know, everyone who's you know, been significantly negatively impacted by the war. I think even the, you know, the, the people in Russia that... Um, you know, the 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 you know, the average citizens um you know, the, you know I feel sorry for them and and you know it's been a like it is a tough period with what's happening in Australia with the floods um you know, some people have been totally devastated um and 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 died as well but obviously not on the magnitude that's occurring in the Ukraine uh you know first first thing you know we just look at, through it logically I mean it's in, it's fascinating how the markets perform um you know you look at it logically the the effectively the Cold War is over, um, and the, and the significant benefit that world economies got back in the early nineties, uh, that's going to be reversed. So, I mean, Germany came out the other day and said they're going to put a hundred billion aside, you know, for that sort of the fighting fund. Um, you know, so you know, all of a sudden, the cost to defend yourself is is real. Uh, and so, you know, that is that's that's a cost to every company. Sorry, every country. Um, yes, it's got to be paid by someone. Um, so that's a negative on world growth. You know, obviously, you know, from globalisation to you know to the opposite. Um, you know, that is obviously 
you know, that is obviously a negative as well. The the interesting thing is, you know, the million dollar question over this period, and 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 we've seen it with, you know, with COVID and with the GFC, and um, you know, just how uh, sort of how, how central banks are prepared to pump money into the system. And I know after the GFC, I remember seeing a, uh, you know, one of the um, one of the yeah, one of the guys talking in the US, um, you know, just talking about how you know, during you know, during the GFC, the, you know, when Drexel's was going under, etc., how it looked as though you know, every all the you know, monetary, yeah, you know, funny, you know, the monetary, um, you know, all the banks, etc., you know, all monetary authorities were looking over the cliff, and they just didn't know what was down there. Uh, and we've seen that you know, they've learned by by stimulating economies, you know, by pumping, you know, dropping interest rates to very low levels and pumping money into the system. Uh, it actually keeps the system um, performing well. And what it, what it does do, the unintended consequences, and we've all been a major benefit beneficiary of that, is it pushes asset prices up. You know, that's assets in terms of equities and assets in terms of property. Um, now. Yeah, you know, we 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 were of the view that, and also we're finally seeing some inflation because of that you know, free money position. Um, the risk with inflation is interest rates go up, and obviously then PEs contract, and that's negative for the market. But the the strange thing is the fact that the war has broken out means that monetary authorities globally probably have to change their strategy. So in terms of instead of you know, trying to tighten you know, the monetary conditions, you know, the, now all of a sudden they'll think, well, we've probably got to loosen you know, or we could have to loosen monetary conditions. So you know, that's potentially positive for the equity market. And I think that's why the equity market is a bit over the place. Um, you know, it obviously sold off early. I, I remember Desert Storm. Yeah, I remember when they invaded on uh, in Desert Storm. Yeah, the day to buy was actually the day they, yeah, that the, they invaded. Uh, and hey, look, you, you old um, Rothschilds back in the it was at the Battle of Waterloo. You know his famous quote: "Yeah, you know, buy when the blood runs in the street." Now, um, yeah, maybe that was the case you know, on the first on the first day. But I, I, I'm still of the view I'd still be, um, you know, being very uh, cautious with your money. I would definitely be in a position, Ace. You know, so if the market fell twenty or thirty percent, you'd be, you wouldn't be stressed. Um, so if that means you've got to be holding a bit more cash, then hold a bit more cash, because the market has had a, you know, it's been a very strong you know, and long bull market. We know it has been, um, you know, been a, you know, there's been a, the market or asset prices, but there's been a major benefit of, you know, the drop in interest rates, um, and you know, asset prices being equities, you know, valuations and property, you'd have to say are, are pretty extreme levels. Um, so to me, there's a lot more risk now than than there was, you know, historically. So I, I think that sort of sums up a little bit of my, you know, my current thoughts. Obviously, you know, the equity market, we know you, you never pick the top. Um, you know, back in 87, you know, there's... Yeah, before the, I think January '87, everyone knew the market was expensive. It went up another, I think it was 50% before it crashed in October that year. So you've got to keep, you know, keep invested because we never pick the top and we never pick the bottom. Um, but don't, you know, make sure you're not overextended because there's been a lot of new money in the market. And I was, when I was a young broker, I was taught that you make your money in your second bull market. And I, I think I worked out that. Um, whatever money you make in your first bull market, you lose again. That's that's what the you know the the philosophy was there. So the newer players to the equity market, you know, the odds are, you know, what whatever they've got, you know, may disappear, and yeah, you know, then they'll be a bit wiser. You now they'll take a bit more off the table next time. They won't overextend themselves. Thanks, Camilla. Thanks, Jeff. John's just written in and he's asked, does the PE ratio apply to listed investment companies? Yeah, it doesn't. No. I mean, some people, we are, we're always taught buy companies on low PEs um, and sell them on high PEs. Well, that was, that was you know, when I started in the market in 1980. But, 
uh, probably in the last period, it's buy them on high PEs because that means they're growth companies <laughs> and probably sell them on low PEs. Um, but no, it's it's really the value of the assets. In theory, you're you're investing, um, you're, you're trying to buy a dollar of assets as cheaply as you can. Um, you know, if you can buy that dollar of assets for eighty cents or eighty five cents, then you get a dollar of exposure to the market, and you and you you're not paying the full amount, so you're getting it at a discount. With a PE is just in terms of a backward looking measure for listed investment companies of, of what they the profit they made last year. Thanks, Jeff. We've just had Sabi write in with an interesting question. He wants to know your view on the brand value of your name at Wilson Asset Management in light of Magellan's issues. Yeah, very little, very little. <laughs> well, what was is, well? First of all, you know, all our list, our listed investment companies are closed end pools of capital, so um, yeah, there won't be any redemptions. The, the, you know, to me, the funny thing is, you know, this is what I, I you know, that does amuse me. Um, people I speak to, they think I do all the work. Uh, we've got 50 people. Um, you know, you, I mean, you're seeing one of them, you know, Camilla today you know, on the comms team. Yes, she's one of 10 on that that area. Um, you know, you see some of our investment guys. You know, we've got you know, 14, nearly going to 15 people on the in the investment area. Um, they're the ones that do all the hard work. You know, the accounting, um, the operations, um, you know, they're all the guys that are doing the hard work. Uh, I'm, I'm the I'm the old one that just makes a bit of noise now and then and does the introductions. But, you know, today I've got to do a bit more. So I've got, I've got to sing for my supper a little bit more. So to me, you know, having me not around, it probably, you know, probably frees them up all a little bit more. They'd probably be more creative and, and perform better. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's like with Magellan, that's the strange thing is, you know, Hamish, yeah, I, I'm significantly more hands-off. I think Hamish is a bit more hands-on. But he's one of 35 people, you know, on the investment side. So, you know, those those other 35 people are still there, um, even though Hamish isn't. So I would assume, you know, that Magellan, um, you know, obviously they're dealing with outflows at the moment. And if, if I was looking at buying the stock, I'd probably give it six months, you know, just to see where it bottoms out. And I'd definitely try to, you know, then buy it before it, um, before you started to see it growing again. Or if, if, if you want to be a bit more conservative, see the farms starting to grow. And if they're getting inflows, then that, that would be probably a, a smart time to buy. That's great. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, one last question today, which has been asked by a few people. Um, Amanda says, why do you only report monthly? Surely a daily or weekly report would be more beneficial. Yeah, look, thanks, Amanda. And at our, we did a presentation uh, the other day for WAM Global, and we had the same question. Um, and and probably the best way for me to explain it is um, if you look at WAM Research, which is you know, one of the listed investment companies we we're talking about today, you know, we floated that back in 2003, 2004. Uh, and, and it actually, after a few months, it went to a discount and it traded at a discount for nearly seven years. It's, it took us the lo- that's the longest any. Uh, longest amount of time it took us to get a lick to trade at NTA, if not a premium. And what happened over those seven years is, you know, we're explaining to the shareholders what we're doing, you know, how we're investing the money, you know, taking medium long-term, um, you know, buying undervalued growth companies uh, with, with a catalyst, et cetera, et cetera. And it just took a long time to get that message through and really to shake out the traders and the people that they're, you know, more sh- short-term um, you know, looking for more short-term opportunities. And as I explained, you know, with WAM Capital, when we made some takeover bids, you know, for a, um, a Mason, uh, you know, we've had to deal with, uh, or, you know, Temple and Global, you know, the the short-term traders that have bought positions and just trade out. Um, and my view is by, if, if, if you... The decision you've got to make is whether you believe the people in managing the money are going to perform for you. Now, is it the right structure you want to be in? Do you want a growing stream of fully frank dividends, yeah, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, and, and you've got to be able to trust those people. Now, um, and, and circumstances change and th- you, know, you, know, you, may, you may change your mind. But you really don't want someone buying the shares because 
you know, the NTA was announced today and then, and the, sorry, the NTA announced today is a little different to yesterday or a little, you know, a little different to the day before or the day after that. So we've just stuck to the, what the ASX rules are and that's we've got to announce uh, at least once uh, a month and we've got to announce by the 14th day of the following month. The various other allies, and that's really to have a long-term, you know, have shareholders that want have take a medium long-term view. And and the, I mean, the the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And with Wham um, Research, you know, that as I you know, was trading at twenty and thirty percent discounts back in that you know that first seven-year period, and now it's trading, I think it's trading over a forty percent premium. Now we probably did too better, <laughs> too good a job there in in tightening up the share register and getting more medium long-term. Uh, shareholders there, but that's why um, you know we sort of don't go. For, we're, we're just doing the ASX regulations. We we don't want to encourage you know, sort of more short-term trading. I know it's good; it creates liquidity, probably creates opportunities for people. Um, but we pro- probably uh, our, our goal is to have a medium, long-term, uh, a good quality business, and it's to have to find people that align with us, and we can go on the journey together. That's the plan. And the interesting thing is the ones that do daily licks, yeah, daily NTAs, it doesn't actually help them. I know the um, I know the yeah, perpetual guys, yeah, pick do daily uh, NTAs and it doesn't I don't think they've traded trade I don't think they've traded at a premium for very long at all in terms of the period of time they've been listed. So yeah, it doesn't help premium or discount. Thanks, Jeff, and thanks to everyone who wrote in questions today. Uh, do you have any closing words, Jeff? Oh, look, thank you very much, everyone, and, you know, I've really appreciated the time and it's um, it's probably good. We can, you know, we've been able to have a bit of quality time together. Um, you know, it is, it is a difficult period. You know, I think our, our, you know, I mean, incredibly, incredibly sad in terms of what's happening around the world um, and, you know, back in Australia, you know, everyone who's been negatively impacted for the floods, our, our sort of hearts go out to them. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing seeing you all again. Um, when we have 